Let me pull up my my doc. Wait, are are you saying that these podcasts aren't um, completely improvised? Are you saying that preparation goes into this? No, they are improvised. I just have a doc of like affirmations that uh, I read to myself. So it's it's uh, just like keep going, Alan. You're doing a great job. And like I'll just read through that list. <laughs> it keeps me have, have those. I think like on post-it notes, and I guess I see that working for for like enhanced recovery, where it's like you wake up in the mirror. It's like carb load today. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm down. So today we thought it would be a great time to kind of look back on our past episodes, uh, talk about uh, what our favorite episodes were and why. Also, I thought it would be interesting to share some of the feedback that we've gotten from our listeners. A great place to start, Josh, I think, is to just go right from the top. Do you want to? Give us uh, one or two or, or three of your top episodes. Yeah, how about, how about like I, I give you one and then we'll go to you. We'll kind of go like some back and forth. Yeah, I like it. Very inclusive. <laughs> That's how I am. <laughs> uh, all right. So I think for, for my, again, this is not an order. This is just more <laughs> like after taking the scan, what were three that stood out for me? Um, so I'd say the first one I'll, I'll share is um, actually podcast number one, um, Company Origins. So for those who didn't see this one, you're behind, you're way behind schedule. But um, but for those who did, you'll remember, it's the one where you basically talked about the the Seamless MD backstory of how the company, you know, started and and how we learned about, you know, different challenges in the patient experience and then how we ended up um, growing Seamless MD over time. And, and really a lot of that evolution was inspired by a lot of the, um, you know, clinical partners and customers that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reason it stood out, I think, mostly for me, Alan, was, I mean, number one, it's always fun to, like, reflect on, like, where we started and how much we've grown as a team and as an organization. But I think, um, for those who don't know, like, Alan and I started this podcast, um, I think, near the beginning of the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not why we started it, but we had talked for probably at least a couple of years or at least at various t- like at least once or twice a year we'd bring up like hey we should start like a podcast or a show of some kind and we would always just like bring it up as like a brainstorm and then never actually do it and then I think when when COVID hit I, I don't know why Alan but we we, we kind of said hey like let's just let's just do it and and I think the mindset we used was let's just like do one episode maybe two mm-hmm. see what happens put it out there um and just be willing to like be vulnerable with that. So I think for me, more than the content, it was just episode one represents us taking the leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I was I I don't have that in my top three episodes uh, because I saw that you actually listed it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is one of my favorite episodes as well. And I think for the points that you mentioned, like the the point of starting this podcast was kind of just to show you know the industry, you know who is Seamus MD and what what's Seamus MD all about. And uh, that first episode, you're right, we, we had talked about maybe starting a podcast or a show of some kind uh, to really highlight customers and highlight um, different parts of Seamless MD. And I think that's always kind of the, the scariest part is, is how do you start something? How do you launch something that's brand new and put it out into the world? And um, so I'll, I'll always kind of cherish that episode because that, that is really the, the beginnings of, uh, of this show. And that to me is kind of beautiful. Um, Definitely. Um, and actually, Alan, maybe um, I'll just like share one tidbit from the episode if it yeah. ca- to catch someone's eye if they haven't seen it. During the first year that Seamless started, we almost went into veterinary care. And I think we might have bought the SeamlessPets.com domain or something like it. If you're curious about that story and how the heck that, that would ever happen, you, you got to watch that episode. Yeah, I think it was called Seamless Pets. I think so. Yeah. Available now if someone wants it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Um, All right. My, my top episode. And again, this is not in a particular order either. I just chose, you know, three episodes that I really enjoyed. Um, My top episode was actually the one we did with uh, Dr. Jahangir Apu. Um, So for those of you who don't know or or don't recall that episode, uh, Jahangir was a previously a a cardiac surgeon who's now turned uh, a venture capital investor. And I really enjoyed that episode for a number of reasons, but I think primarily was because it takes a very high level approach 
to virtual care and the future of healthcare and healthcare technology from a clinical perspective, but also now from an investor kind of perspective and outlook of the industry at large. And um, I think in particular, why I liked that episode was obviously we had, you know, an extraordinary guest on it, uh, which, which obviously makes it a, a great uh, episode to listen to. Um, but I think also there was one topic in that episode that I found particularly fascinating, and it was based on a, a tweet that Jahangir had put out um, that was illustrating kind of the, the frameworks for thinking about virtual care. Jahangir mentioned uh, on, on Twitter that there was four kind of categories for virtual care, four, um, four uh, functions of virtual care that are especially relevant and important for uh, virtual care to be successful. And uh, I'll just kind of quickly summarize those again. So the first one was an online interface with security and good user experience. The second one was remote patient monitoring. Third one was machine learning and analytics. And then the fourth one was patient engagement tools and patient reported outcomes. And I, I recall from the episode, it was kind of all four of those working in tandem with each other is what makes virtual care so great. It's this value exchange of information to a patient and then back to the, the healthcare organization. Um, and that's kind of the, the framework for looking at what great virtual care is. So that, that definitely was one of my favorite episodes. We go off into a lot of tangents in that one. We talk about chatbots at one point. Um, but yeah, so I, I love that episode for sure. Yeah, me too. And like, uh, you know, Jahangir has been also a great, you know, mentor, um, you know, an investor for, for Seamless MD. And one of the things that, that I really enjoy about, about his story and, and why I think even a lot of folks who, you know, aren't in the startup or, or tech world, but I appreciate the podcast is that, you know, um, this is someone who, you know, had personal health, you know, challenges where, where he, they basically forced him um, to not be able to operate uh, in cardiac surgery anymore. And yet so quickly he was able to, you know, find like new passions um, in, you know, healthcare technology and, and AI healthcare investing and all these other really incredible things that he's working on now. And so he was someone that, that didn't just mope around and say, oh, like I can't operate anymore. Like, you know, he said, hey, you know what, this is an opportunity to kind of move healthcare forward in another way. And I think that's just a fantastic story. Um, and it reminds me of, um, Actually, just side note, I saw this presentation once um, by a, a, a gentleman named um, Jordan Banks, who actually used to be um, uh, the managing director of Facebook Canada and really, really, you know, successful like technology executive. And he was doing this presentation to, I think it was like the, I want to say the graduating class of Western University or something like that. And he was talking about how early on in, in our lives, we're always taught to you know plan out our entire future, our entire career. And he kind of shared how, you know, like when you, when you look back at your, your life five, 10, 20 years from now, pretty much like the plan you had set for your career, what you thought was gonna happen is gonna be very, very different. Not in a bad way, it's just, it's very hard to predict the future, right? So the important thing is like being open-minded to how the world changes, opportunities that come your way and being like engaged and just navigating those changes and and you end up being surprised by how different like your life is like 10 years from now and and, and if you, with the right attitude it's a very positive thing so i think um jahanger is actually a great example of like hey like i don't think he planned for this by any right. means but like i think five ten years from now when he looks back he'd be like wow it's pretty cool that i did this stuff mm -hmm. anyways no, and, and actually, that was a point that he made in the episode as well, was looking back and, and his definition of luck and, and uh, being at the right place at the right time. And yeah, looking at a setback as an opportunity and kind of flipping it around the mental models he uses. Um, Absolutely. What, what's another episode you love, Josh? Yeah, so another one I'll point out is, um, so we did an episode with uh, Mirazad, our director of uh, customer success on... Uh, best practices uh, for implementing digital patient engagement solutions. Um, and so for those who, who aren't familiar, um, you know, one of the things that happens when an organization partners with CLSMD is, you know, we don't just hand you the technology and say, hey, I hope it works for you. Good luck with this. We actually have a whole team um, led by mayors that it actually works with the healthcare organization to not only um, you know, implement the the platform and like customize it and, and train staff and all that, but also support them ongoing for the life of the partnership in providing best practices and, and feedback and troubleshooting and, and all kinds of, of things in partnership, um, strategic, you know, 
advice, sharing learnings from, from other partners, et cetera. And um, it reminds me of, I forget who, who taught me this, but the idea that like the outcome of a technology solution is based on both the quality of the technology, but also the quality of the implementation and the support for it. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of really great nuggets in that, in that episode about how, yeah, like the tech of CMS is, is great, it truly is. Mm -hmm. But it's also the support that we provide behind it and the best practices for helping organizations get patients using it successfully, that that's really critical to success. So, so that, that's one reason why I like it. The other reason actually why, why I, I like the episode is because actually it's a really good example of how these podcasts, Alan, have had really interesting side effects and side benefits beyond, um, you know, beyond like helping the market understand Seamless. It's actually been a really great tool for um, candidates and future like um, hires for the company. Mm -hmm. So for example, like, um, and, I, and I'll say this, not because I'm trying to market, this is how you, you should succeed in the hiring process, but because if you're actually hearing this, it means you're doing your research on Seamless, which I respect, right? But like, mm -hmm. um, there's so many candidates who actually tell us that they watch the podcast and use it to learn about Seamless to either get excited about Seamless MD or they actually learn things about Seamless MD that they then use in the interview process to impress us about, mm -hmm. about their knowledge and stuff like that. And so I always like, I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at, at how often the podcast is used in different parts of the company and in ways we just didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. I think we hoped that would be a good recruiting tool, but like we never really knew who, that they would watch it. Yeah. We'll watch this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Among those millions of, of, of viewers, Alan, yeah. there, there are a handful of candidates and they're looking to, to join a company like ours. So I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah. And, and actually, Josh, we were talking about this uh, a little earlier. Um, I didn't plan to bring it up, but we were talking about the, the fact that if we had a candidate who came in and actually disagreed with something that we said on the podcast, that, that shows, A, they've listened to the podcast and they've understood what we're saying, but then B, it also shows that they, they have a brain for themselves and they're, they're thinking and, and if they can back up why they disagree, how we'd actually appreciate that because we're looking for the truth on all things. And if somebody can actually explain why they disagree with something from a particular episode, I feel like that's a, that's going to give them a leg up. That, that's something that we look for is, is, you know, somebody who can, and it's funny, I say this, now we're going to get a ton of candidates just yeah, disagreeing with <laughs> But I, I think the point of it is, you know, we didn't know what would happen with the the podcast, who would be listening to it and how it would actually affect different parts of the the company in, in terms of, let's say, like hiring. Uh, and it's kind of really cool to see that. It's it's neat to see the the kind of ripple effect of the, the podcast entering different areas, uh, not just with the industry, but also with candidates. It's really neat. Well, and, and I mean, so I'll say a couple more things on that topic. Um, one is uh, uh, a kind of like a half joke, but we should... Um, if someone says that they watched a podcast episode, we should ask them what they thought about a topic that was brought up at the end of the podcast to find out if they actually listened all the way through. Right. right. Uh, How many people skim through kidding, it? Uh, yeah, yeah, funny thing to see if someone brings it up. But the other thought I had was um, just in terms of uh, unintended um, side effects of the podcast. Um, so those who don't know, Alan actually um, recently was invited by the the Can Health Network, which is a national consortium of um, Canadian hospitals and organizations and companies to accelerate adoption of healthcare technology. Alan was uh, recently invited to, um, I think, co-present one of the, the sessions along with Deloitte um, for this consortium on, I think, implementing new healthcare innovations or something like that. And mm -hmm. so the reason that happened was because they because they said, oh, wow, um, Alan, we really liked you on the Seamless podcast. Like, would you be interested in, in co-presenting a session? I mean, who knew that was going to happen? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Profound effects. I like that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in with my second favorite episode. Again, it's not in a particular order, but um, the episode that was released last week uh, called the top seven myths for digital patient engagement. Why I like that episode so much was I found it was just a great clarification episode. So it clarified a, a number of different topics related to virtual care, related to digital patient engagement. Um, and it kind of hit on a number of different things. So talking about like the implementation process, for instance, and why that's important or, or equally as important uh, as the technology itself. Also talking about what is telemedicine, what is virtual care, and, and how do you, you know, distinguish digital patient engagement from those larger kind of umbrella terms. 
Um, so I, I thought that was a great episode. Um, it definitely had me thinking a lot about uh, digital patient engagement and, and where it fits in this broad spectrum of technologies that are available. And so if you haven't heard that episode, that's definitely a great one to, to take a listen to and, and understand kind of the nuances and intricacies of, of digital patient engagement. Absolutely. I think it really um, does touch on a lot of understandable natural misconceptions that yeah. someone new to this type of technology would have. Um, and, and by the way, I think those things would have, they, they definitely came up years ago when we started CMOS MD. Some of them still come up now. The difference is that we actually have the data and the experience to, to address a lot of those misconceptions. Right. So a lot of progress has happened, have, has happened, but a lot of those, those myths are still kind of natural <laughs> and, you know, inherent myths that, that, that I would think about too, if I, if I was new to this. So we definitely come a long way in dispelling a lot of those myths for sure. <laughs> Actually, you know, if, if you're, you're trying to bring something like seamless into your organization and your executives are pushing back on, well, older patients use this, like, mm. you know, That's et cetera, right, yeah. get them to watch the podcast. Yeah. 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 I think I touched on uh, older patients. Also uh, one of the, the other topics from that episode was around, or I guess myths from the episode was around, uh, can my nurses just do exactly what CMOSMD is doing? And I think that that one in particular um, comes up a lot because that's, it, you know, at the, at the uh, essence of what CMOSMD is doing, yes, theoretically a person could do that, could do exactly what CMOSMD is doing, follow up with the patient, remind the patient, track the patient, how they're doing in their progress, collect, you know, information from the patients and then, uh, report it back into a, the EHR or a system like that. Um, but I think it goes above and beyond because it's it's also taking a look at, well, let's let's theoretically or hypothetically uh, examine what a person would have to do in place of a technology. And it pretty naturally comes to the conclusion that it's not really scalable to have a person doing that job for every single per or every single patient. So I like that point from the podcast as well. That was one of the myths. I think maybe I mean one of the later ones. Yeah, on that note, Alan, I mean, for me, a big part of like what's exciting about Seamless and, and technologies like Seamless is how do we help like providers like such as, you know, nurses um, execute at, at, at the, the height of their expertise, right? So like ideally, um, I, I would think like the nursing team would want to focus on like, okay, who are our most complex, like acutely sick patients right now, whether they're in hospital, I need to spend time on them or whether they're, they're at home, I need to help them. But, you know, is their time really well spent doing mm -hmm. like daily post-discharge phone calls to patients where 80% of them are probably doing fine, where they're asking the same 10 questions? Yeah. Like, why can't we automate that for them so that they can actually like really use their expertise on the patients who would benefit the most from that expertise? I mean, that's how I think about it, too. So, right. um yeah, you're right. Totally. It's a time thing too, but it's also like, like they're so skilled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why, why, why do we have to spend their time um, doing things that, that something like seen this could, couldn't, you know, right. um, help to care for them. So. Yep. And then they would have more time doing what they're actually trained to do. The skills around it. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Um, so uh, I guess I'll give you my last one uh, in terms of uh, three that, that stood out to me. Uh, so this one we actually did with um, Robert Ritlop, who's actually um, the director of investments at MedTech, which uh, which actually uh, led our, our Series A financing. Um, what I liked about this episode um, was mostly just um, Robert's um, like candidness about his mm -hmm. perspectives on healthcare technology and adoption of healthcare innovation and a lot of the um, the barriers um, in the the market um, and. I just appreciate that in general, not because he had a lot of insights and that was one thing, but also I think oftentimes in, in healthcare, um, because it's, it's generally such a very positive thinking culture, which I actually like, and I think is, and I appreciate, but sometimes, um, that mass, um, you know, transparency and direct communication and being willing to admit failure and, and, and you know, being willing to, to, you know, pick on, on, on things that we're not doing well. And so the fact that someone like Robert is in this kind of industry and is so candid and, 
and willing to explore like unconventional ideas. I think that's just refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also just, it was fun to hear from the, the investor's perspective, right? Cause all the time people hear about the hospital perspective or the company perspective, but a lot of um, the success of innovation is, is coming from support from investors like, like Robert and MedTech. So hearing his perspective on why would a, uh, you know, a VC fund invest in something like Seamless, I think our listeners would, would, would have found very interesting. Yeah. 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 You had a, a very, very positive, nice way of saying it was a very controversial episode. <laughs> I, I actually quite enjoyed that episode as well. I think it had me laughing internally the most out of all of the episodes that we put out. And I think it's uh, also because we agree with a lot of the points that he brought up. So I mean, if we disagreed with it, maybe we would challenge or push back on some things. But a lot of it, he was speaking the truth, and it was very direct and candid. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely appreciate that episode for sure. And and Robert, I would have back on the podcast anytime. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, the third episode that I've highlighted, um, this is with our very own Denise Koo. Um, she's the director of patient education at CMSMD. The episode was on health literacy and accessibility. Um, and I like this episode for the basically the same reasons that you like the implementation episode um, was because there is a lot of, uh, uh, of work that goes behind the scenes in developing a digital patient engagement program, um, particularly around the education on the platform. Um, and health literacy and accessibility on that episode, we really touched on the kind of intricacies of what is health literacy and how do you apply um, you know, best practices for adult learning and behavior change into the education on a platform. And I thought Denise did a really great job of highlighting you know, the different steps that she takes and her team takes uh, in, in making sure that the content on the system is actually uh, digestible by patients. So it's at a, for instance, she touched on the, the uh, grade six reading level, making sure that we're uh, accessible to maybe people who are colorblind and by having contrast testing, colorblind testing, there's uh, the screen reader or screen reader friendly um, portion to the platform. So it can actually read the, the content to you if you're, if you're blind or hard of seeing. Um, and so all, all of these little itty bits of, of uh, knowledge that Denise has and she's learned throughout her career uh, and then put into the system, I think is really why it's so successful uh, when it comes to actually engaging with patients, how, how we hit those high engagement rates and how we get patients to actually um, stay motivated with their, their care and, and they're empowered to actually take action and, and do the steps that they need to do. And a lot of that comes down to health literacy and accessibility. So it's not just a, you know taking an education piece of paper and putting it onto a system, but it's actually what from this education is the most important parts and then how do I translate it into a digital medium so that it's interactive and and stays engaging with the patient they actually get the right information at the right time and all of that needs to be planned and and uh, really thoughtfully uh, uh, drawn out and Denise did a a fantastic job explaining that in the podcast uh, and and kind of even way obviously way more detailed than what I'm saying right here because it was I think a 40 minute episode or, or even an hour so that for me stood out. That was one of our, our, our my favorite episodes that we've done so far. Yeah, I think what what it highlights really well is like when people talk about you know the idea that for a clinical solution like this, not only does the technology matter but the clinical content matters. I think what they fail to realize is that a patient engagement solution like Seamless MD is different than um, a very let's call it provider centric solution like like i don't like like up to date for example if it's a fantastic um hey to our friends at walters clear we we are we are friends with them so i can say this but they have a great (laughs) up to date right where clinicians use it to look up guidelines and um like best practices for treating different illnesses and all that kind of stuff and it's well designed for clinicians and so they have expert content on there when it comes to patient engagement i think sometimes some companies think that oh if we just have you know, a bunch of clinical experts put content on a technology. That's all we need to do. And that's clinical content expertise, but they don't realize that, okay, well, no, actually when you're engaging a patient, it's not just about the fact that you have the right clinical content, but what matters is how you deliver that clinical content. And that goes beyond just the technical technology things like having mm-hmm. electronic reminders and tasks and 
and progress tracking. It's actually, well, what's, what, what words do we use? Right. And um, the font size and the literacy levels and translating that using all the things that Denise's team does around behavioral change theory and adult learning, um, things that, that have been proven, you know, even on paper to better drive patient comprehension. Um, very often those things are not appreciated or understood frankly, by, by clinicians. And I can say that like, I, I'm a former clinician. Like I get it. Like I, I didn't learn, I don't learn that in, in, in medical school. Like no one mm -hmm. teaches you how to properly communicate with a patient with the right, you know, language and, and phrasing and all that. You just get taught clinical like knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think like to your point, it's a really important episode because it actually highlights it's clinical content in when it comes to patient engagement is more than just the clinical content. It's like the mm -hmm. delivery of it. Like right. really matters, and I, I almost feel like it, it's it's hard to it's hard to truly understand it unless, frankly, probably unless you've been a patient, you can't understand what your what your clinicians are telling you or what the papers say. Like, yeah. Yeah. there's probably a lot of patients who don't don't tell you. By the way, what yeah. patients want to tell their doctor? I don't understand this. Right. That doesn't right. happen. Right. Exactly. So, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, to your point about the the words that we select and the words that we're using on on the content, uh, I'm bringing up another episode, but the cancer care episode that we had um, around. There's obviously these 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 patients are sometimes and oftentimes in psychological distress, and so making sure that the language is very sensitive to those those needs of that patient, and and so it's very very particular in the word choice, so that it's empowering and not disempowering language and uh, and different topics like that. Um, I do have one bonus episode, Josh, just because I like the number seven. So why not end with seven episodes as opposed to six? The bonus episode that I chose, this is actually, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we have eight million or so listeners on, on pretty much every episode. But this episode in particular didn't have the amount of views that uh, I believe is warranted for the episode. And the, the episode was one of the earlier ones on prehab. Um, and it is a very niche topic, and that's you know probably why it was you know just the people who are really interested in prehab really listened to that episode. But I I love that episode because there was a a lot of research done for it, which is you know just patting myself on the back. But also I think it is uh, it's kind of the next part of like enhanced recovery, where enhanced recovery was really big you know today, and maybe it started 15 20 years ago prehab is kind of in its infancy as well. So today it's kind of where enhanced recovery was 15 years ago, where I think more and more groups are kind of seeing the literature on it and are, are realizing, hey, we need to prehab our patients if we can. Um, and so I definitely think that's an episode uh, worth watching because it also talks about how digital patient engagement makes that implementation so easy and so effortless. You can kind of add prehab as a module to an existing program. Um, and we quote a lot of studies in that episode. So I, I really like that episode uh, on prehab. Uh, we draw a lot from uh, the University of Michigan, who's kind of the, they were one of the first groups to do prehab and, and really study its effects. Um, and so I, I really like that episode. I, I feel it deserves a bonus shout out. For sure. I mean, for me, like the, the crazy thing about prehab is that um, it's not as widespread yet as, as it should be and could be. And the funny thing for me is that and again, like um, it's probably because there's not as much literature on prehab as there is on, on enhanced recovery. Yeah. But prehab, in many ways, is actually easier to implement than enhanced mm -hmm. recovery. Like enhanced recovery, you have to go, like, like pathway by pathway or service line by service line, right? Because like yep. your ask for gynecology is somewhat different from colorectal, which is somewhat different from pancreas, liver, cardiac, etc. There's but, multiple stakeholders that you need engaged. Yeah, but prehab, like protocol wise you could probably create a standardized pre-app protocol that like every, yeah. every major surgery patient uses in your organization. Like everyone walk this many steps for surgery, use the incentive barometer, eat better, right? Stop smoking, uh, mindfulness. You could literally put the same protocol across your entire surgical department and get significant benefit. And it's sort of way more scalable than, than enhanced recovery. Mm -hmm. And I'm shocked that it's not more widespread like i'm totally right. shocked that it's not more of a, like a lower hanging fruit almost than eras eras is more popular that's the thing yeah. more popular is more literature but i think to your point we're going to see a a growth in prehab over the next couple of years and i think it'll probably come and from what we've seen now it's come from folks who've said hey i've done eras already right. what's phase two? Oh, oh let's put prehab in front of it so that's right. probably what's going to happen 
I'm just surprised like it hasn't gone the other way where it's like, mm-hmm. and I, I think part of it too, Alan, and I'm just, I'm just digressing a bit, but it's like mm-hmm. probably because ERAS is so popular, a lot of organizations are saying, oh, have we done ERAS yet? Mm-hmm. They're not saying, hey, uh, that group's going freehand. Right. Have we done that yet? That's right. probably part of it, right? Because um, ERAS is becoming a thing. So then people want to get that done first, right? It's yeah. what else doing. So kind of yeah. makes sense too. You know, yeah. so actually mad respect to, you know, the folks at, you know, um, Greco Carly, Leanne Feldman, Team Miguel, and mad respect to, you know, Mike Anglesby and the team at, at Michigan for, you know, frankly doing it when one else was in North mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. Takes a yeah. lot, takes a lot of uh, conviction to just go ahead and do it and, and not care if anyone else is doing it yet. Yeah. And, you, and you're talking about prehab because they, they also prehab, did yeah. enhance recovery quite early as well. That those same kind of groups, they're, they're definitely thought leaders and, in quality and and uh, in patient safety, um, I think also just kind of finishing that topic. If there is an ERAS program already in place, it's a lot easier to add prehab yeah. because you know it, we already have the stakeholders, we already have the materials for patients. Let's just add on to it. That's true. Um, so it, it does kind of make sense to do you know ERAS first because that's the that's the harder one to implement. So presumably once you've done oh that, yeah, by the way, I'm totally underestimating like the idea that you can get a whole like every surgical department bought in to do prehab in the yeah. that, that is way harder than right. it sounds. Yeah, I think, yeah, one of the most challenging things in, in any industry is change management. So yeah. Just getting people to change practice, that's, you know, one of the most challenging uh, things to do. Um, all right, awesome. So those are, that, those are the top seven episodes, I guess, of uh, 2020 for the Seamless MB podcast. Uh, at least the top seven that Josh and I have in our heads which, which uh, makes it the the actual top seven so <laughs> yeah yeah obviously we don't care about what other people think uh of the episodes uh, but if you guys had favorite episode i keep saying guys you guys and and gals anyone out there who's listening uh if you had favorite episodes that you particularly enjoyed let us know um and actually this is a good segue josh oh, uh, well, actually on, on that note if, if anyone has guests that they want on on the podcast um, or if they want to volunteer to be a guest, like throw your, throw your, your name in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we will thoroughly bet we'll, all we'll the guests, course, but, yeah. uh, we're not rings or hat R- ring sounds, uh, <laughs> like a fight. Yeah. We're a very collaborative bunch. Yeah. We're not, yeah, we're not all about fighting. Um, that's good. So actually good segue here, Josh. Uh, I do want to bring up what some of our listeners have said about the podcast. Um, we actually do have, believe it or not, maybe not 8 million viewers on every episode, but we do have a consistent group of clinicians and, and listeners of this podcast who do write into us and they let us know uh, what they liked about the, the, the podcast. I don't think we've gotten any negative comments yet. Uh, I think it would be kind of funny if we did, but <laughs> I think that the point of this podcast is to be informative and, and uh, spread kind of the best practices that, that we've heard of through working with uh, different organizations on digital patient engagement. Um, the first uh, comment that that uh, I wanted to share, this is one of our earlier uh, uh, responses that we got from, from our listeners, from the feedback that we've received. Um, this is from uh, someone who's listening, uh, a clinician out there who said that they wanted to say that they love the podcast, uh, lots of insights, and uh, apparently, Josh, our dynamic mine and yours makes it next level. And they dubbed the the dynamic awkward and proud of it, uh, which honestly I agree with. I think that's that's pretty much us. And, and I love that they, they kind of connected the dots there. Um, they did mention a memorable moment was, uh, and I looked back to, to figure out who said this. And apparently I said it, we were talking about color by numbers or like paint by numbers with Malvina on the uh, bariatric surgery episode. And she mentioned that she's doing this paint by numbers. And uh, I think you asked, well, has this color by numbers thing been around like for a long time? And I said, apparently, I think color by numbers has been around ever since there were colors and numbers. (laughs) And and it was a very subtle joke uh, near the end of the episode. And I love that this person commented on it and and thought that was pretty funny as well. Um, That that was one comment that I I particularly enjoyed uh, from our listeners. Um, I have a, a few more comments if you want me to read through some yeah, of these. So somebody else uh, mentioned that they love the show. Apparently, that's how all of these these comments started. We had a lot of those, the by show. the way. We have time to go like, share all of like, right. those 
love the show <laughs> comments yeah exactly yeah a lot of them are just they leave it there i love the show keep doing what you're doing but this one was i love the show so informative and detailed and they also apparently make dirty chais now so this was a i guess it started as a little trend a little thing like i think in our second episode i just mentioned hey i combined uh, a coffee with a chai tea and i'm calling it dirty chai and then i think i did a call back to it on another episode say hey i made a dirty chai again just kind of in passing um, but it's kind of neat that you know josh we're obviously influencers now and somebody has gone ahead and, and made their own dirty chai so i thought that was pretty funny yeah, I, th I think you've it. earned a like an espresso or a Starbucks endorsement <laughs> or some sponsorships. So, you know, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So espresso, if anybody... Starbucks, if you're listening, like, like, we'll put you on here. Just I think Alan and I will take free coffee for life, right? right. Free dirty yeah. chives for life. We'll, we'll bring you on here. Yeah, that's the that's the uh, the bare minimum coffee for life. That, for both that's us. the real business model of the company We're we're going to grow this <laughs> podcast. We're going to, you know, get a ton of sponsors sponsors yeah 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 we did a shout out once to uh i think microsoft mm. so bill gates if, if he's listening obviously we need sponsorship as well give me give me that free microsoft office you know <laughs> all right and the, the last comment that i grabbed for this podcast uh this is a listener who actually comments it's, it's about you josh it's um they wondered if we're recording this in your bedroom because of the closet and I actually, I put this here because I think it's a funny story. You've, you've explained it to me off the podcast, but I think our listeners deserve to know as well. Is this your bedroom? The, what's with the closet? Yeah. So just, I, I know listeners are really worried that uh, I'm, I do everything. I live out of this, this one room, but, but don't worry. This is not the only room that I, I partake in. Um, this is, this is like my, my office room at my home since I'm spending a lot more time remote from the office during the pandemic. But um this here, my my dresser back there. This is what was it like eight nine feet tall, something like that. Anyways, this dresser doesn't fit in any other room in my place. So we, we it just like it has it's been in here forever as long as I lived here, um, and uh, uh, and so I'm so, and, and by the way, also like I I've tried positioning my my webcam away from the closet, but my lighting is just gets much worse. Yeah. So, so sometimes when I'm having a meeting with a, you know, a hospital or a partner, I'm trying to like minimize <laughs> the, the closet, then, it just gets dark. But then, yeah. but then the lighting gets worse. And so I kind of end up in the middle somewhere. And so I just yeah. kind of say, ah, whatever, like they can see the closet. It's such to some funny conversations though. I was talking to um, an executive at, at one of our, our, our hospital customers and he sees a closet and he goes, oh, Josh, are you a, are you living out of your closet? <laughs> I'm like, are times that bad? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. But um, that's good. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a, a funny conversation point. Um, I am moving to a new place um, in the next couple of months, so I don't think you'll see this that oh, much true. longer. So you yeah. got to cherish it while it lasts. Right. No, that's great. I like it. It's been there since day one on the first episode all the way. We're on episode 28. Now, if you Actually, can believe it. It's funny. I think I think uh, one of our, our teammates, Danielle, who's been on, on a number of podcasts, I think she commented that she doesn't think anything in that closet has moved. And I'm right. like, yeah, you're probably right because like like ninety percent of what's on here, like like dress shirts and things that just haven't worn in all like yeah. in most twenty twenty, right? So had no reason to to, to move it or anything yeah. to be moved, to be honest. Right. Unless you just want to do your weekly move and you you move the clothes around just every i should week. do that you don't wear them you just move them around well you know the clothes like when they talk they're yeah. just like josh like getting kind of tired of being next to this other guy like <laughs> the red shirts like annoyed the blue shirt it's been a whole year like yeah you know, we gotta move them around yeah. i think i think josh you've been remote for too long now if you believe your clothes are talking to you there's i well i just think you're not listening closely <laughs> enough <laughs> if ah, you're not hearing your clothes is, yeah <laughs> That's that's more likely. Uh, awesome. So Josh, I want to do we whenever we have a guest on the show, we've been asking them a, a fast five round or a lightning round of questions where we ask five questions and they can answer it as succinctly as they would like. Um, this time, I thought it would be interesting if we both did a fast five uh, with each other, and we can ask we can ask the same questions uh, and and we can just answer them how we would. So I've I've picked kind of our our favorite questions that we've been asking guests. Uh, based on their responses and based on the feedback from our listeners, what they enjoyed the most uh, in hearing. And so I do have five questions. 
Um, I can run through them. I don't know if you want to go, I'll ask a question, then you can answer, and then I'll give my answer. Or back yeah, and let's, forth let's, let's and, both do the same questions um, okay. together, yeah. Not to confuse everyone, yeah. So uh, the first question uh, that we got is, what is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most? Yeah, so I definitely don't have a gift, uh, sorry, a book that I've gifted the most. Um, I actually don't, I have a hard time thinking of a favorite book. But what I did think about was um, just kind of, I'm um, just enjoying like reflection. It's like, what, what are the books I read the most as a, as a kid? Mm -hmm. I think, I think that makes a big difference on, you know, inspiring like kids to grow up, like enjoying reading. Mm. And I'm curious not everyone's read this, but I think that the book I read the most as a kid was called, was, was book one of the Boxcar Children. Have you heard of this series? No. The whole series of Boxcar. The Boxcar Children. Um, huh. And the gist of it is, um, it's, it was like a, a children's series. Whether it's like a hardy boy, like a mystery kind of. No, it might be, but I only I only really read um, book one, okay. or I read that the most. I didn't really read any. I, mean, I think that's the only one I had at home, maybe. But, but anyways, <laughs> basically, it's about these like four kids who are like recently orphaned, and they're they're siblings, mm. they're siblings, um, and basically. They, they get lost and they find this abandoned box car on like a, a train track mm -hmm. and they basically figure they out how to live there without any yeah. resource. Like they figure out huh. how to like, like, um, I think grow their shelter, like find food, um, build clothes for nothing, wow. you know, stuff like that. Um, get odd jobs to make money and then, and somehow they use it to like, you know, make food for themselves and eventually wow. they get out of that situation but it was just like, like a really creative story about it's not really quite survivor but it's almost like almost as yeah. if they were having to be survivors in the woods it's just like a really interesting tale that i enjoyed as a kid so um that's cool yeah it was originally published in 1924 ah, since i've been around so yeah it's definitely been around i wonder it's probably changed like i mean you probably read different uh editions of it but no just cool. the one in my, my, my parents basement but uh right that they've had in, in their family for generations. No, no, I, I think we bought it in, uh, <laughs> like, a, like a, a garage sale. A garage sale, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, for the book that I picked, uh, I, I didn't choose one from my childhood. This is a book that I've actually come across fairly recently, during the past like two, three years. Um, and the book is called Awareness by mm -hmm. Anthony DeMello. Um, I love this book. I think it's uh, it's not for everyone. It's definitely a book if you're if you're fairly open minded. It's definitely a book for you, um, and it kind of it's basically Anthony Anthony Demello was uh, I guess a, a not only an author but he was a, a famous uh, philosopher um, and kind of looks at the the idea of awareness and what awareness is and what. Uh, the I is in, in uh, what you're being aware of. And uh, it basically just shows there's a lot more to know about oneself uh, mm -hmm. than we, and, and we often take that for granted. So um, I think it's a book that's been recommended by uh, different folks like Naval Ravikant. Uh, he's, he's recommended the book. So if, if, if Naval's recommended it, then clearly you have to go read it. Uh, but that to me is, it's a book that's stuck with me. So I, I read it two and a half years ago, it stuck with me. I've reread it. I love the book a lot. Uh, and I think it just helps people live a, a fulfilled life. So question number two, what is your favorite film or TV show? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you both. Um, okay. So um, film has changed over time. So I think growing up, I really liked October Sky. I haven't seen it. It's a great film with Jake Gyllenhaal where he's like this high school kid who like falls in love with building rockets and then um enters like a science fair um with his rockets and his dad wants him to be a coal miner like him but anyways it's based on a true story um where the character ends up becoming i think a nasa scientist mm -hmm. it was just like a really inspiring story of like you know a, a kid following you know his dreams and right you know, nasa and then at some point he became a beautiful mind with russell crowe okay and jennifer connelly i think right um yep. Yep. and i just I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but just it's a fantastic story uh, based on a true story about John Nash, that that famous uh, mathematician, mm -hmm. um, and kind of the struggles he had with 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 his health issues and and, and how that affected his success. But a really beautiful story, great movie. Mm -hmm. um, and then actually, more recently, Arrival with mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what's the name of the, the um, 
an actress because all, all the, the the red-haired actresses I always think like there's like Isla Fisher and then there's gosh I forget the the ones who all the, the, the one that you're looking for yeah yeah, uh, uh, yeah what is oh her name gosh. I should know this I'm looking it up now Amy yeah. Adams Amy, yes, Amy, yeah, yeah. Actress. Um, I'm terrible with yeah actors' names and. There's a th- there's a third one. There's Amy Adams. There's um, Isla Fisher, Amy Adams. Oh, Jessica oh. Chastain. Okay, she was yeah, but she was on my list. I was thinking of um the one from um Pitch Perfect. Um, oh gosh, Pitch Perfect. Who's that? It's uh. Pull it up here. Anna Kendrick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. they, they don't look identical, but you know what I mean, right? Always well, they all them. have red hair. <laughs> yeah, red it's hair. Pretty, that's as identical as you can get, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, sorry, Arrival, is, it's based on a, this really great book um, by an author, a sci-fi author, fantastic author, Ted Chiang. Um, and if you want to, I actually ended up reading that short story it's based on called Story of Your Life. It's, even if you watch the movie, it's a great short story that's based on. Um, and then I'll just, I'll give you one TV show I really like right now, mm. Succession. Mm. I think it won like the most recent or one of the most recent Emmys for like the best drama. Amazing, hilarious drama, if you will. Yeah. And uh, if, if you haven't seen it yet, um, just wait for the episode about dogs on the, is it called Dogs on the Crowd? I forget, but okay. yeah. um, have you seen that, Alan? No, I haven't. Oh, sorry, Dog, dog, dog on what? the Floor? You've told me about Succession. Oh I, I haven't seen it. Like, this is the one show that I that I preach about. People have to watch right. Succession. Incredible show. Cool. Um, all right, I'll give my answers. So uh, this is a very difficult question for me. Uh, like Josh, my my favorite movie changes all the time, um, but it, there there is one director, uh, writer director who who stands out to me, and it's either you love you, you love him or you hate him. Uh, and he gets a lot of flack from different audiences, but uh, David Lynch is, is oh, one of my favorite directors. Uh, and in particular, the movie that, uh, for, for whatever reason, I love this movie, it's Mulholland Drive. And I think the reason why I love the movie is because there's so many different meanings that you can take from the film. Just, just to give a, a bit of perspective, David Lynch uh, is not your average filmmaker. Um, he's, he's definitely not... Uh, you're, if you like to go and see a movie that has a very, uh, you know, distinct plot from start to finish and you can follow it, you know, easily, David Lynch is not your cup of tea. Uh, David Lynch definitely plays a lot in the realm of uh, emotion in, the, in his filmmaking. So it's, it's very much a movie that you would feel as opposed to um, logically pieced together. Although what I do like about Mulholland Drive and a lot of David Lynch's works is um, he he builds the movie in such a way where he's giving you clues and you're almost playing a detective uh, in piecing together the film. And it's kind of interesting that a lot of his main characters are detectives and are people who are following clues and, and kind of piecing it together. So he's kind of meta in that regard. All right, question number three, Josh, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Yeah, so actually, we talked a bit about this um, on the um, the podcast with with Robert Ritlop from EdTech. But uh, one of the things that I, I wouldn't say people would think it's insane, but um, well, some might. But I, I I sometimes have challenges with um, with grants and, or, mm-hmm. or grants uh, research grants being used to fund um, ideas that that we hope will get commercialized. Um, the reason being that. Um, just because like something gets grant approved, grant supported, doesn't tell you, and, and even if you can use that grant to prove that an innovation works and, and has a result and a positive impact on providers or patients, that actually tells you nothing about um, whether or not the market will adopt it and mm-hmm. pay for it and fund it. And so there's been a lot of um, innovations, uh, healthcare innovations in the market that have been funded by, by research grants and that actually work and achieve the benefit that they want, but then when they then take those study results and then go to hospital leadership and say, hey, the product has an impact on, on these metrics. Can you buy it now? And then they find out that a hospital only buys things that like align with the top five priority, which is not right. most things, right? Because only five priorities every year. They don't get it. They're like, wait, but I, I proved it with the research grant and mm-hmm. the results and all that. So, so one of my beliefs is that sometimes too many grants in, in, in the market might actually 
lead to a lot of like really important work done, but that that had really limited chance of adoption in the first place. And it right. makes you wonder, could we have repurposed that funding for, for stops? So I think there's hmm. better work being done now in healthcare around tying innovation funding to needs of health systems, hospice right. providers, but there's still a big gap where you can pretty much get research funding to, to fund anything really, any mm -hmm. question you want, mm -hmm. knowing is there really a chance this could get adopted. Now that being said though, like that's part of why research is important that you can ask questions and right. yeah. I mean, who's to say it's a bad question, but, but I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky when you're talking about like stuff that you're trying to get adopted. It's just, yeah. it's tricky. Especially around innovation and technology. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of things help patients. Right. Most things help patients, but not everything right. has, can actually like get adopted, right? And yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Um, something that I believe that others might find insane. I think there's less and less people that find this one insane because there is more and more research on it. But I really very strongly believe in the power of placebo. And uh very much like and I, I even see it in surgery like when patients believe that they're going to have a successful surgery they tend to have more more success with their surgery uh, but i think it, it extends beyond just surgery i think even around you know different medications and and the efficacy of pretty much any intervention i think uh the, the mind is definitely um a mysterious kind of uh powerhouse that can be harnessed in such ways of uh positive change and also the the nocebo also the opposite is true so if, if somebody believes that something will not have an effect i think that does actually impact the results of of things now don't get me wrong i'm not saying the placebo is the only thing that's at play obviously there we have lots of proof and randomized controlled trials that are you know showing the efficacy of certain things like drugs and, and pharmaceuticals and things like that but i definitely think the placebo plays a, a, a pretty large uh part in in determining uh, certain successes or failures of different things. And I think people would find that insane in some circles. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that's an, almost another way of saying, this is not exactly correct, but almost like, you know, perception is reality. So mm -hmm. if your mind believes something is true, it becomes a reality. So if right. your mind believes that I'm not in pain anymore, you're not in pain anymore. Right. Um, so I think yeah. that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. That that's question four. Question five, or sorry, that was question three. Question four is: Would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? It was funny, Alan. I was gonna make a joke. Uh, we probably can't call it fast five anymore. I feel like for us, it's the long five. Anyway, the <laughs> <laughs> slowest five we've had. Yeah. Like you and I are we're doing it two times. Yeah. Hear our, our thoughts on this. That's why. Yeah. We're, that and we're also answering technically ten questions. Yeah, okay, fine, fine. So it's, a, it's a double. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds. Yeah, so again, like, I'm going to make this long five because I'm just annoying that way, but I'm going I'm to cross off super strength because I have no real use for it, right? Yeah. Uh, at least me personally. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cross off ability to read people's minds. I think that I think the ability to read people's minds is actually uh, is the, the, the superpower that would allow them to be the most successful. In yeah. terms of like if you read people's minds, you can you can accomplish anything really. But I think it'll just be really annoying because then yeah. you like even if you could set you could turn it off. Like right. If you couldn't turn it off, that'd be just really annoying. You can I couldn't live that way. But let's no. say you could turn it off, you would feel so compelled to like cheat mm -hmm. and be like, oh, like what are they really thinking? And then be able to maneuver like, all the time. It's just it's I just feel like you wouldn't be able to like live like a normal, authentic life. It's just like mm -hmm. you know everything you just know too much mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go with speed because it is cheating but i can i can cheat like ethically more often with speed it's just like oh <laughs> um i don't want to spend an hour like going to this location just to pick up this like one thing from the store all right right one second i got it i'm back yeah yeah it's pretty convenient yeah i think i would have to agree with you on this one i think super speed to me is the is the one I would choose. Um, it's a toss up though, between the ability to read people's minds. Um, I think read to your book. point, like, so the thing is though, like to, to read people's minds, you can read it. But that doesn't necessarily mean you can solve whatever it is that you're looking to solve. So let's say you're in a, a high stakes negotiation with somebody, sure you know what they're looking for, you know what they want, but that doesn't mean you can necessarily navigate the situation any, any more effectively, um, maybe, I mean, 
we, we'd have to test it. I'd have to be able to actually read people's minds to see if that's true or not. Um, so I, I think I would also choose super speed. I like the, the points that you made about being able to get things done really quickly. Uh, if you need groceries, you just run and get them. Um, oh, also, Alan, like you could win the like a bunch of Olympic gold medals. True. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you gotta be smart, right? Like if you just like go at like a hundred miles like a second, then you're obviously you're like, whoa. Right. Okay, no, no, yeah. Let's go like a little bit faster. A than little bit faster. Right. Yeah. Just a tiny <laughs> bit faster. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. Uh, last question, so that we don't uh, belabor the podcast. It's a COVID-19 related question. This is my favorite question that we asked. What is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? Oh, okay. This, is, this, is, this, is, more, this is more recent. I wouldn't call it okay. necessarily a hobby, but I recently started making um, protein banana pancakes. Oh, nice. I've heard about them. I've seen them. And I'm yeah. like, tastes like a Yeah. Hey, there you yeah. go. No flour or nothing. Oh, really? So it's yeah. using like protein powder instead of flour. Yeah, is that exactly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. A protein powder, like like a banana, and then like, um, oh, like like egg whites, even egg whites. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Get the protein from that. Yeah, yeah. I would probably add the yolks as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I like one. I got a bit of like egg white. Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. Because that is a binding agent as well. I am not a chef by any means, but. But I do know that yolks and a fat source like that is a, a binding agent. Um, that's good. I thought you were going to go with your cop out answer of you you learn to cut your own hair. But, yeah, which yeah, is really impressive to me. That's like that's such an impressive fact that I would want to share it every day. But yeah, yeah, no, um, I want to go different this time. Right. Uh, yeah, another copo that we both could have used is that we started this podcast that was technically yeah. COVID related. Um, the activity that I'm going to share. So my girlfriend actually is a movement instructor, like yoga and Pilates and all that. And uh, she, because of COVID, has started teaching virtual classes. And so she does it you know, a couple times a week. And so that's an activity that I've actually gotten into as well since the beginning of the pandemic is I'm taking all of her classes or as many as I can. So it's, you know, one, two, two times a week and the movement type uh, ranges all the time. So sometimes it's, you know, high intensity hit or whatever. And then other times it's more kind of the, the nuances of moving different joints in your body and, and very uh, meditative kind of focused movements. And so I, I've kind of gotten into that whole world of, of different things and learned a lot from, from her and on that space. So that's definitely something new in the pandemic. It's a, a new activity i wouldn't call it a hobby either but it's an activity i've been doing so that's awesome yeah we'll give her a shout out so <laughs> there we go um that that's kind of it that's the that's the fast five for for this podcast episode um josh thank you so much for for um you know indulging us on on the fast five but also for taking the time to think of you know your favorite episodes from 2020 i did as you know <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you didn't just think of them a minute before the podcast. This is nope. this is at least a couple of weeks in the in the making. Um, but I, I I really do. I think we've done an incredible job because this is entirely new uh, for both of us starting this podcast. And and actually, the feedback that we've gotten from our listeners has been really what motivates us to keep going. Um, we've had a lot of positive feedback. We've had a lot of people listen to the episodes and actually. Oh, my my favorite, away... when, when, when Bill Gates said it was a great podcast, that was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. When he took the time to actually tweet about uh, the Seamless MD podcast. If you don't believe us, you can you can search Seamless MD podcast on Twitter and you can look <laughs> if you want. <laughs> you can also tell other people to maybe research the Seamless MD podcast. Who knows? Tell Bill he deleted it by accident to retweet it, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I, I, have appreciated this whole year, uh, uh, or at least the, the half of the year that we've started the podcast in, we've covered a lot of different topics. Um, we'll have a list of all of our topics, uh, in the, in the show notes, the ones that we've highlighted, um, throughout this episode. And, and if you haven't heard some of those episodes, we, we say that there are top episodes for a reason. There's definitely some good information in all of those episodes. So do take a look and, and listen to those episodes. Uh, again, share it with your friends and family and colleagues. And if you do have uh, any uh, 
if you do have any recommendations for people who should be on the podcast, who you'd want to learn from, who you'd want to uh, listen to about specific topics, let us know, throw their name in the hat. If you made it this far into the podcast, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we hope to uh, keep, in, keep uh, entertaining you and ed educating you uh, next year into 2021. Uh, but for now, we're, we'll sign off for the holidays and, and uh, we're wishing you all the best. Thanks, everyone. Happy 2021. See you next year. Yeah.